Thanks for joining us today. We believe God is going to do great things in your life and we want to hear about it. Send us your story at mystory@seminasa.com to let us know what he's done for you through this ministry. If you'd like to partner with us or bless us with a financial gift, go to seminasa.com and give an amount that works best for you. Now enjoy the message and have a blessed day. This is the last in our series on the pursuit of happy. I took that from a movie by Will Smith, The Pursuit of Happiness, and it's really been enlightening and helpful. We, uh, we came to the conclusion that God knows best what will lead us to our personal happiness. He's the creator, and I know about technology a little bit, and I know a lot about cars and boats and airplanes, but I do know this. The manufacturer knows his product, and he gives you an owner's manual on how to operate it. If you violate the owner's manual, you usually violate the warranty, right? Because now you've abused the product. So God has an owner's manual for everything, marriage, finance, health, relationships, children. It's an owner's manual, and it's an absolute guarantee. But if you violate the owner's manual or you ignore it, you do it at your own hurt. So all we want to try to do is learn some principles to help us all do better. Something you have to keep doing all the time. I don't think you ever arrive. We looked at the happy uh, paradox that if I pursue happy as my goal, I never get to happy. But if I pursue meaning, happy is a byproduct of meaningful life, meaningful living. And then the illusion of happy we saw was that if I could just have, if I could just buy, if I could just snort, if I could just get her or him or have that or buy that, then I'd be happy. And we saw, nope, it usually wears off in about three minutes or three days, just like a happy meal from McDonald's. It's, you know, the kids don't say happy long, do they? Well, our happy meals just get more expensive, but they don't leave us with any permanent happiness. So God's got a plan for it. I'm going to close this series with some research by a secular professor from Syracuse University. And the reason I love it so much is that most Christians won't believe God, but then they'll believe secular research. So it's kind of nice when secular research confirms what God tells us. And then what are you going to do? You run to God's Word, you get hit with it, and then you run to secular research, and it simply confirms what God's been telling us all along. Well, what's your secret to living a long, happy life? A woman walked up to a little old man rocking in a chair on his porch. She said, excuse me, sir, but I couldn't help noticing how happy you look. What's your secret for a long, happy life? The man said, well, I smoke three packs of cigarettes a day. I drink a case of whiskey a week. I eat fat foods, and I never exercise. And the woman backed up, and she said, wow, that's amazing. How old are you? He said, 26. <laughs> so I'm assuming that every one of us in this room would like to be happy. Could I get an amen? Yeah. We want to live a life that satisfies, and it is successful. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. When the founders of our nation wrote the Declaration of Independence, they wrote, and I quote, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, and that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
not the purchase of happiness, but the pursuit. And so I saw that movie in 2006 with Will Smith, and he plays Chris Gardner, a San Francisco salesman struggling to build a future for himself and his five-year-old son, Christopher. When his girlfriend walks out, Chris is left to raise Christopher on his own, and his determination finally pays off when he lands an unpaid internship in a competitive stock broker uh, training program. Only one in 20 interns get the job, but the internship is without pay. So Chris and his son are evicted from their apartment. They're forced to sleep on streets, a homeless shelter, and even occasionally behind the locked doors of a metro station bathroom. But he continues on with perseverance. And Chris Gardner, you see his picture, started his own brokerage firm in 1987 and then sold it in a multi-million dollar deal in 2006. Folks, if you can't make it in America, you can't make it anywhere. Our country has problems, but I've got 10 million miles, and I've been in most nations of the world, so I'm at least qualified for an opinion. If you hadn't been past Fredericksburg, shut up. And I'm trying to tell you that we still have the best opportunity at success, no matter where you come from or how bad your circumstances may be. So step up, smarten up, and come on. Become the potential that God put in you. Throughout time, people have come up with lots of theories for happiness. But I think in the end, it is the God who made us who knows best what can bring us real happiness. Psalm 68.3 says, But may the righteous, those are believers, but may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. Dr. Arthur Brooks, a Ph.D., professor of business and government at Syracuse University, wrote an article called, Why We're Happy. And the subtitle reads, turns out, happiness has a lot to do with our values and a key to our prosperity as a nation. Now, when I read that article, I was so impressed because it was, first of all, secular research and a secular professor basically saying, God is absolutely right. Spiritual values are what really make us happy in a lasting matter. Let me read you a couple of paragraphs from his article. In the Declaration of Independence, the founders did not treat happiness as some warm, fuzzy concept. They believed that people wanted happiness and had the right to pursue it. Along with life, liberty, and happiness was the connection between the Creator and our nation's destiny and the ability of its citizens to pursue and achieve happiness was a measure of the effectiveness and morality of the state. He goes on to write, but today's leaders and policymakers seem to have forgotten this. To hear politicians talk about the gross domestic product, health care reform, social security, you would think that this nation's founding fathers held as self-evident that we are endowed by our Creator with the ability to purchase new, high-quality consumer durables every year or to enjoy healthy economic growth with low inflation and full employment. But the founders didn't talk about these matters, not because they weren't important, but because they believe happiness went a whole lot deeper. 
As professor of business and government policy, he writes, I've long been interested in the pursuit of happiness as a national concept. According to hundreds of reliable surveys of thousands of people across America, happy people increase our prosperity and strengthen our communities. They make better citizens, and better citizens are vital to making our nation healthy and strong. Happiness, in other words, is important for America. So when I chanced on the data a couple of years ago saying that certain Americans were living in a manner that facilitated happiness while others were not, I jumped on it. I wanted to be able to articulate which personal lifestyles and public policies would make us the happiest nation possible. I also wanted to know which one of my values learned during my growing up in Seattle and practiced during my career as a university professor were the most conductive to my happiness. I always thought marching to the beat of my own drum, making up my own values, went along with the right things to do, and that traditional values were brutally only for suckers. Turns out, I was in for some big surprises. First, what is happiness? Most researchers say it involves assessment of the good and bad in our lives. Average happiness levels in America have stayed largely constant for many, many years. In 1972, 30% of our population said they were very happy. In 1982, 31% said the same thing. And in 2006, 31% said they were happy as well. The percentage saying they were not happy was constant as well, generally hovering around 13%. But the factors that led up to the happy life for most people are not what we typically think and hear about. Things like winning the lottery, getting liposuction, earning a master's degree, didn't make people happy over the long haul. Rather, the keys to happiness and the main difference between happy and unhappy Americans was a life that reflected values and five practices, faith, meaningful work, marriage and family, generosity, and freedom, all five of them. So let me take each of the five with research to close out this series on the pursuit of happy. Happiness predictor number one by research was faith. Roughly 85% of Americans identify with a religion and about a third of Americans attend a house of worship each week. By international standards, America's level of religious practice, though it certainly is far from what it ought to be, is exceptionally high. Think about it. Nations that I travel in only achieve 3% to 7% of people who attend church at all. So by any national standard, America is rather phenomenal. In general, he writes, Americans who attend a place of worship each week are happier than those who rarely or never attend. And I'll tell you something else, parents. If you don't set the bar as a parent with those children, by the time they're 18, they've already made church irrelevant. 
and they become what are called nuns. They, they, they might have some mystical faith about God or that there are many ways to get to God totally because everything in their education, public school, uh, elementary school, high school, and college teach them that any moral value or spiritual value is total nonsense so they can be warped up, freaked out, and worthless by the time they're 18 years old. So you owe, if not yourself, your children the vi- Now, by the way, that doesn't mean go to some dead, irrelevant religious place. I mean, if the place sucks, get a new place. If it doesn't help you, if it doesn't grow you, if it doesn't challenge you to think, if it doesn't call you up to the plate to bat, you need to find another place. Don't be stuck in a culture or tradition. I'm not picking a church based on a neighborhood or by race or by uh, whether it's a woman or a man or whether it's I'm picking one by life. It's got life in it. I don't care what your color is, your background, or your nationality. If that sucker is humming with life, I'm in. And some of you are locked up in culture or it's in the neighborhood or it's close. Well, hell's close. You might have to go further to get to some place that's got life. Fine. You might have to find a spouse by driving farther out of town. Drive, baby, drive. I ain't picking anything because it's close. This is the way people think. And somebody ought to get up like Simon Cowell and say, that's just dumb. Just dumb. All right? So, in 2004... The General Social Survey found that 43% of spiritual people said they were very happy with their lives compared with only 23% of secularists. Spiritual people were a third more likely than secularists to say they're optimistic and hopeful about the future. That ought to ring a bell for all of us. We ought to be the most upbeat, positive people, even in a bad circumstance, because God makes promises. That which I have begun in you, I will perform it until the day of Jesus. I will not stop. Circumstances won't matter. If you're 100 years old like Abraham, I'll give you reproductive power. I'll back up the Red Sea. I will feed you with ravens. I will delay aging. I will do whatever it takes to make what I promised you come true. I always have hope. It may be bad, but I'm coming out of this thing. I'm going to get through it, whether it's a fiery furnace or a lion's den. Some of you go into a fetal position, suck your thumb, and drink Maalocks. Oh, oh. See, you need to get your ugly self in church, get God's word in you, get faith in you, so that you know that what God promised, God will perform. For it is impossible for God to lie. It may scare you, but the reward is worth it. At the end of the day, you're going to get a little, you're going to become a veteran. You've been through it. You said, I've been to this rodeo before. I'm not afraid. God deli- David said, God delivered me from a lion. God delivered me from a bear. And this giant Philistine, he's coming down. See? So God's given you a little history to give you confidence and faith for the future. But he starts off with a lion and a bear before you get a giant. Secularists were nearly twice as likely as spiritual people to say, I'm inclined to feel I'm a failure. No. I have failed before but I never feel like I'm a failure. A believer can fail. Though the righteous man falls seven times, the Lord will uphold him. So don't you dare quit on yourself, ever. 
the author concluded, nonetheless, it is clear that faith is a common value among happy Americans, and that should not surprise a believer at all. We all know the tremendous difference our faith makes in our life. In John 10, Jesus said, I came that you might have religious bondage. No, I'm sorry. He didn't. That was the church I went to. Let's see. He said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. The, the evidence of Jesus in a home, a marriage, a business, a life is life. It's not lost. It's life. An abundant life. How you doing? Okay. Okay. That's like kissing your sister. I don't know about you guys, but I need a little bigger fix than that. I love my sister, but the thought of kissing my sister is not going to motivate me, okay? It's not going to kick any passion in me. And okay, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm surviving. No, God doesn't want you to bump along. God wants you to thrive. And, and every time, it will, even in finances, Bill and Maureen will take people who are struggling, and they find out where you're breaking every rule of the owner's manual. Here's the owner's manual. If you do this, you get that. You're not doing this, and you got a mess. And unless you change what you're doing, the circumstances in your marriage, your home, your health aren't going to change. You know, I'm not a cook, but Betty Crocker is, and she's got cookbooks and cakes and if you walk by H-E-B, you can see beautiful pictures of cakes on the front. But on the back, it's called a recipe. And she says, put this in, that's what's going to come out. But some of you take God's word and say, well, I don't like that. And I don't know, I'm going to add this and I'm going to change that. And then you get a big mess. And you say, well, I don't know if I believe in God. Oh, dummy. God's got, don't blame God for stupid. God says, if you do it my way, you get my result. Guaranteed. No questions about it. Talk to some people. Been around the block a few times. So our faith leads us to contentment, strength, and joy. And even in the midst of all kinds of difficult circumstances, I always have hope. Hope. Blessed and happy are those who know God and trust God and walk with God. Amen. Second happiness predictor, according to secular research, is meaningful work. Dr. Brooks continues, if you hit the lottery today, would you quit your job? When more than 1,000 Americans across our country were asked in a 2002 survey, if you were to get enough money to live comfortably for the rest of your life, would you stop working? Fewer than a third said yes. Two-thirds said Absolutely not, because I get pleasure and fulfillment out of a meaningful employment. And that ought to be true for everybody in here. This is, this is really important. It's kind of fun. But when the lottery gets up to 300, 400 million, then Mark Earhart and I chip in and buy a ticket or two. You say, well, why, Rick? So you can live lavish? No, so I can pay off his church. Yeah. Then I'm going to Hawaii for a month. You say, well, where's Rick? He's in Hawaii. He paid off the church. <laughs> you say, would you quit, Rick? Absolutely. I love what I do. People who love what they do will do it if they don't get paid. When I was in a rock and roll business, we'd play for free because we all loved it. Now, the fact that we got paid to do it is great, but when you love what you do, pretty soon people will pay you to do it. If you hate what you do, you're probably not doing what God made you to do. If you hate it, come on, come on. 
So the whole idea is, contrary to what most people think, they don't quit. They would stay in a meaningful job. In 2002, an amazing 89% of workers said they were very satisfied or somewhat satisfied with their jobs. And that wasn't just true for high-paying jobs or high-skilled jobs, but for all workers all across the board. So for most Americans, job satisfaction is equivalent to life satisfaction. Among those people who say they're very happy in their lives, 95% of them were satisfied with their career. Dr. Brooks concluded, the bottom line is if we want to be happy, we need meaningful work. And that's advice worth sharing with our kids as well. Work is not bad. Work is not a curse. God gave Adam a job before he gave him a wife or anything else, right? He gave him a job. Girls, don't marry a man that ain't got a job. You can't live on love. Not my love. I ain't supporting you. Get a job. Wasn't that, wasn't that the coasters? Some of you folks over 60 like me remember the coasters? No? Get a job. La la la. La la la. Get a job. Anybody remember that song? Come on. I want my wife. See? See? These people know. Say, so, well, I never heard that in church before. Well, you went to the wrong one. That's why. Come on. You're in the right place. So God holds a very high view of work. He's always wanted his people to be working for their own good. At the dawn of human history, Genesis 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. That's before the fall of Adam. That's before marriage. Everybody hear it? Work, meaningful work. No curse there. So God had work to do for man from the beginning of creation. Here's what Paul writes in Ephesians 4, verse 28. He who has been stealing must steal no more, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. And then to Titus, Titus chapter 3, verse 14. Paul writes, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good, that's work, in order they may provide for the daily necessities of their own and not live unproductive lives. So God does not want anybody living an unproductive, unfruitful life. Don't even have to pray about it. John 15, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Trying to get that brain to re-engage with biblical truth is the hardest job any teacher has to renew your mind, to transform your thinking. One, I am convinced he doesn't want me to survive, but he wants me to thrive and that he wants me to, to prosper. That is that, hey Rick, be productive. You can't compare your productivity to somebody else. Everybody's gifted differently, but I do want you to be productive. So a man who is unproductive is a miserable human being. 
and they fall into crime, they fall into addictions, they fall into depression. So you got to believe, even if it's flipping hamburgers at McDonald's, there's something meaningful in what you're doing, bringing satisfaction to a customer. And I'll tell you something else. If you'll show up early, leave late, and you'll be dependent on without having been told what to do, it won't be long because any employer will tell you, when you get an employee like that, he'll put you in charge of the, that franchise. And then pretty soon you may be over two, and then they may make you a regional manager because you're the go-to person. You there, you always do more than the rest of them. You're always counted on. You don't show up when you feel like it. You just show up and you're always early and you always are the last one to clean up with excellence. It doesn't take an employer in fast food to realize you're one of a kind. I don't want to lose you and you get promoted. So I don't care where you start, you can rise. Some of you, you know, what's wrong with our kids? They live, they want to, they want to start where we are now. After 73 years, they want to be where you are. And I thought, oh no, baby, the only place you can start in the top is grave digging and well digging. Every place else you start on the bottom. And you can get there, but you ain't going to get there in a moment of, well, I don't, it doesn't pay enough money. Well, you don't have enough skill or experience or gift. So shut up and take the pay and start. And then if you are as good as your mouth says you are, we're going to find out. And then promotion comes from the Lord. Yes. And amen. I've waited on table. I made $8 uh, for the day on Saturday, tire recapping, going to high school. I had all kinds of different crummy jobs, but I loved every one of them, got experience from them, and was glad I had one. Now, looking back now from where I am today, I might say, oh, I don't want to do that. But I took anything I could get. There's plenty of job opportunities out here, but people say, well, I don't like that. Well, that's hard. Or, well, it doesn't pay me 100000 a year. And you don't even have a GED. What are you talking about? <laughs> Why should I pay you? Prove me your worth and you'll get it. Bring value to the job and you'll get promoted because you become more valuable. But everybody wants to start on the top. So it's no surprise that work and happiness go hand in hand. Third happiness predictor, marriage and family. Dr. Brooks' research says matrimony's taken a lot of hits since the 60s. It's been said to hold many people, especially women, back from their full potential to be happy because they got married. Don't believe it, research says. Here are some statistics from our research. In 2004, 42% of married Americans said they were very happy. Just 23% of never married people said the same. The happiness numbers were even lower for other groups. Overall, married people were six times more happy to say they were very happy than to report they were not. Marriage, he writes, isn't just associated with happiness. It generally brings happiness for most of us. In 2003, another study showed 24,000 people were followed for one decade, 10 years. It documented a significant increase in happiness after people married. Well, what about having kids? Dr. Brooks reports, well, while children on their own don't appear to raise happiness, they actually tend to slightly lower happy. They give significant increase in meaning. 
So studies suggested that children are always part of an overall lifestyle of happiness, which is likely to include things as marriage and faith. Consider this, Dr. Brooks writes, while 50% of married people of faith who have children consider themselves to be very happy, only 17% of non-religious unmarried people without children feel happy. So what does God say about it? Genesis 2, verse 18, the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So God made a woman for Adam. So marriage is not man's idea, it's God's idea. God said, for this reason shall a man leave his father and mother, please, (laughs) and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. So marriage is God's idea from the start. One of my favorite verses is Proverbs 18, verse 22. He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. So marriage and family are the wonderful creations of God. By the way, God only created two institutions, the family and the church. One is a natural family. Church is a spiritual family. First the natural, then the spiritual. Got it? God's idea. He dated it because it brings meaning and fulfillment and produces joy. Although kids sometimes lower happy a little bit, I still have joy because they are my future, and they're the future of our nation. That's why it's so important. If you don't care about yourself, please care about the next generation we're sending into the political realm, economic, school, teaching, and the ministry. Let's send something up there that's got a brain and good values, good foundation to pass a legacy on to the next generation. That's our job as parents. It ain't about what I like. So marriage and family are the wonderful creation of God. And when we live according to God's blueprint, His owner's manual, we get joy and satisfaction. But if you go ahead and say, well, I'm a free spirit, and I'm going to do what I want, and I don't care what God says, then you're going to live in chaos. You know, as Elizabeth Taylor said to her ninth husband, I won't keep you long. (laughs) How sad. I mean, pretty soon, couldn't we look at celebrities and realize, well, they've got money, and they've got hot, and they've got uh, all the men or women they want. Why can't they be happy? How come they're always in jail, busted for DUI, or on drugs, for crying out loud, or hanging themselves on a door? How much smarts does it for me to get to say, God's not against you having anything. God's against you thinking that makes you happy. That's all. That's all right. Enjoy the, the produce of what you produce. Live abundantly. Be a generous person. Good. But if you just think, if I can get that Maserati, if I can just get that house, if I can just live in that zip code, if I can just marry that hunk of hunk of burning love, if I, <laughs> then what? Then you'll be old like me. And you get furniture disease where your chest falls in your drawers. You know, it's like, it doesn't last. (laughs) No, that ain't going to happen. That ain't going to happen. Oh, sir, buddy. I want to look in my casket and say, dude, the dude looks pretty good. My goodness. He looks real. No, he's dead. He's dead. He's dead. What do you want people to say at your funeral, Rick? Look, he's moving. That's what I want to hear. I love life. How about you? Happiness predictor number four. 
Generosity. Why, who would have imagined? Dr. Brooks writes, we've all heard that money doesn't buy happiness, and boy, is that true. But there is one way to get it, give it away. The evidence is clear that gifts to charitable organization and churches bring substantial life satisfaction to givers. People who give money are 43% more likely than non-givers to say they're very happy. Volunteers are 42% more likely to be very happy than non-volunteers. Dr. Brooks writes, religious giving and secular giving leave people equally happy and far happier than people who are not generous. Even donating blood, an especially personal kind of giving, improves our attitude and morale. In essence, the more people give, the happier they get. Now, that shouldn't be a surprise for us as believers. Jesus said in Acts 20, verse 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. He did not say it's wrong to receive. It's wonderful to receive. Anybody here ever get anything somebody gave you? Yeah, it was good. He said, okay, remember that. It's even more blessed to give. So I would like to be in the position, I've been given stuff, but I would like to be in the position where I could give it. Woo, that's the ultimate buzz. Now, you don't think so. You know why people don't give? They're afraid. It's fear. Fear, I won't have enough. Fear, God won't give me enough. Fear, God won't do what he said. If I give, I shall receive good measure present. No, no, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. How does Jesus walks on the water? Uh, God shuts the mouth of lions. God delivers a couple of guys in a fire. How, how, God raises a whole bunch of people from the dead. How did he produce a bunch of panty-wearing wussies? afraid. The Bible, the Bible says the righteous are bold as a lion. I'm not even afraid to die. I already met Jesus. He came back from the dead, said, touch me, feel me, talk to me. Don't be afraid of death. There's eternal life. You don't even have to be afraid of somebody that kills the body. Go ahead. Don't worry about it. Makes you courageous, makes you dangerous to the enemy. But everybody's afraid of their reputation or afraid I'll die or afraid, afraid, afraid. Afraid of what people think. One day you're going to find out what people think, and you're going to find out they didn't think about you at all. And you lived your whole life in bondage to what they think. That's welcome to America. Fear of man works a snare. Fear of man. Stop being afraid. All you hear God saying from the Old Testament, fear not, fear not, fear not. Now, if God says that 364 times, don't you think you ought to get the message? Fear not. What's to be afraid of? It's going to be all right. It's going to, it ought to be the devil in a phone booth dialing 911, drinking Maylocks in a back corner of hell, sucking his thumbs, terrified, because you now know who you are. You know what rights you have. You have no need to be afraid of him. He can't intimidate you, can't manipulate you, can't, can't make you say, well, I don't know whether they will accept me or not. Who cares if they accept you or not? You think everybody accepts me? I don't want to be accepted by everybody. If a, if a crowd of stupid says, oh, we love you, I'm thinking, I'm in the wrong crowd. I don't want them to like me. I don't want to stay there. Listen, where was I? Proverbs 11, Solomon. One man gives freely, gains even more. 
another with holes. I'm afraid. I won't have enough. I need to buy that boat. I've got to save this up. I can't give anything. But he comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Give, you shall receive. For every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction. But you got to believe God. And if you haven't done that, our, our gang here in financial freedom, I trust they've learned that in these biblical principles. I've been doing this since I was 18 years old. If it didn't work, I'd tell you. I was taught a lot of stuff that wasn't in the Bible. But generosity and paying my tithe, I was taught by my grandfather who raised me, and I got that right. I got that right. And no matter how bad my behavior uh, in the rock and roll business and in, before I became a Christian at nearly 30, uh, no matter how bad it went, I still prospered. I, was, I, didn't, I wasn't on my way to heaven, but I wasn't in debt. God was blessing me eat because that principle will work for a pagan. Principle. If you have many friends, you show you, that'll work for a non-believer. These are principles. They, that's what irks me. Business principles that are given in the Bible for a believer to prosper are now taken by secular people in motivation seminars and business people, and they write books, and they make millions, and Christians go, duh, and they stay broke and poor. And they wait for the guy to fly in in his private jet and tell him that if you'll give your best offering tonight $1,000, you'll get a hundredfold in 30 days, and he flies off in his jet, and you're broke. And he makes a bogus promise. I'll just pay you tithe, honor the Lord, learn to be generous when you have a little or you have a lot, and God will take care of all you need. Never seen it fail. It's simple. No manipulation or anything. So giving in all of its forms is a key to happiness. Be generous with mercy. Be generous with kindness. Be generous with time, talent, treasure. Be generous. Your life will be rich God, and very satisfied, very happy. Happiness predictor number five, last one, liberty or freedom. Dr. Brooks writes, the founders of America listed liberty right up with the pursuit of happiness as an objective that merited a struggle for our national independence. In fact, freedom and happiness are intimately related. People who consider themselves free are a lot happier than people who don't. Dr. Brooks clarified, not all types of freedom are the same in terms of happiness, however. Researchers have shown economic freedom brings happiness, as does political and religious freedom. But listen to this, and I quote, On the other hand, moral freedom, a lack of restraint on behavior, does not. People who feel they have unlimited moral choices in their lives when it comes to matters of sex and drugs, for example, tend to be unhappier than those who have less choices in life. In other words, God gives us boundaries to guarantee meaning and joy and happiness. If I get off the track, out of bounds, then I reap the consequences of it. So there are some limitations. When pollsters asked voters in the 2004 presidential election what the most important issue facing America was, the issue voters above all others was moral values. That beat out the economy, terrorism, the Iraq war, education, health care as people's primary, not only, but primary concern. Politicians and pundits wanted us to think otherwise, and critics scoffed at the conclusions, interpreting it as evidence that ordinary Americans are out of touch with reality. 
But research confirms moral values are critical to America. That suggests that as a people, we do best by protecting our political and economic freedoms and guarding against a culture that sanctions licentiousness. What do you think of that? And from a secular professor at Syracuse University. And boy, politicians are kind of learning. You better check out Mid-America to find out what Americans really think. But all they do is poll L.A. and New York. And they talk to self-indulgent, overpaid celebrities out of control. Like, I care what a, a, a movie star said about a value or about marriage or, or about morality. You think Britney Spears has any effect or, or, or Beyonce? I don't give a flying fig newton what they say. They're not going to change my opinion about what God says. I'm going to, if, if God confirms it, I'm in. If God doesn't address it, then we just have an opinion. That's fine. I'm okay with that. But I, imagine going to affluent, self-indulgent people to find out the pulse of America. God help you. And then they've discovered to their chagrin that they left out mid-America, and that's not what the average American feels or thinks, Right? So who's dictating to you how you feel? Some celebrity comes in with some stupid value about life, and I thought, hey, you're a great singer, but you're a lousy person. There's a big difference in talent and value, okay? So God has something to say about the importance of our freedom. Truth makes us free. John 8, verse 31, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth you know will set you free. It will. You want freedom? Then believe what God says and do what God said. It'll make, it'll make you miserable first, but it'll make you free. How many of you know, have you ever struggled when you got truth hit between the eyes? And they, oh, it hurts because I'm living contrary to that truth. And I'm really in bondage and captivity. But when I believe truth, truth makes me free. And then Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3 that the Holy Spirit leads to freedom. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Listen to this caution, and I close. Galatians 5, verse 13. Paul clarifies that our freedoms have restraint. You, my brothers, were called to be free. He's talking to the church. But do not use your freedom to indulge your sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. And so Dr. Brooks concludes the article with some lessons for America, and he writes, and I close. The data tells us that what matters most for happiness is not having a lot of things, but having healthy values. Without those values, our jobs, our economy will bring us soulless toy and toil and joyless riches. Our education will teach us nothing. There will be no reason to fight or to make peace or, for that matter, to protect our way of life. Health care might keep us healthier, but what's the point of good health? without a happy life to enjoy it. The facts can help remind us of what we should be paying attention to as individuals and families if we want to be happy. And there's, a, I think, a real important message here for public policy and politics. We have to hold our leaders accountable for the facts on happiness and refuse to take it lightly when politicians abridge the values of faith and work and family and generosity and freedom. God knows what's best for all of us and what will lead us to lives that are joyful and satisfying. As the psalmist wrote, may the righteous be glad 
and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. Psalm 68, verse 3. So the question is, will we trust and obey God as the manufacturer to know what He created, you and me, what makes us work best? Will I walk with Him and as best I can, flaws and all, follow His precepts? Will we make faith, family, hard work, and generosity primary things in our life? If we do, God says, I'll fill you with a sense of joy and fulfillment. May God bless our pursuit of happiness when we seek it in His name, because He's not a joy killer, He's a joy bringer. Amen and amen. Thanks for joining us today, and may God richly bless you. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.